You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. How many of you have ever binge watched a series or a TV show on like Netflix or Hulu or anything? Okay. Now I won't. Now here's the thing. Now when we say binge watch, that could mean a few different things. Um, it could mean you know. Um, well, let, let me back up a second. So it used to be that we would watch on TV one episode a week. And then you had to wait another week for the next episode. And it was torture. Especially if it was a drama. And you're like, what's going to happen? And you had to wait another week. And, but now with like Netflix and Hulu, they release an entire season at one time. And so you, but what I have noticed is that the season's usually half what they used to be. Especially like sitcoms. They used to be 22, 23 episodes per season. Now they're 13 14, something like that. So the, the, series, uh, the, the seasons aren't as long, but you can watch all of them at one time. So I won't ask if anyone has watched an entire season in one sitting, um, because that has implications <laughs> if we do that. But uh, um, the way we watch TV has changed, doesn't it? We, we, we watch TV differently than we used to uh, back in the day for those of us who are older. Um, now, Betsy and I have never watched an entire season at one sitting, but we have watched two or three episodes of, of a show or a series. And, and, and particu- what's interesting is, though, is particularly with a drama. You're looking for, you know, it's a, it's a story, it's a drama, so, it's every, so it builds on each other. Sitcoms kind of stand alone, so you really don't need to watch. But a drama, but here's what inevitably happens. One of us cues it up, but before we can hit play, inevitably one of us asks, okay, wait a minute, what happened the last year? What happened last one? You know, and so you spend the next couple of minutes. All right, here's what we last time we watched it, whether it was the night before or maybe we didn't watch it for a few days. And all right, remember it ended this way. Then this has happened. Okay, good, go. Okay, now we can hit play and 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 off we go for this the next round of uh, of our um, binge watching. Um, that's kind of how I feel about this current series, The Kingdom of God, um, and that. Um, and even now, even more so because we've got this series within a series. We're actually for the, we're in the second of three weeks. We're talking specifically about the Beatitudes, the eight blessings that Jesus gave at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, each of them can stand on their own. Each of these different Beatitudes, they have meaning and understanding. And we are breaking them down um, in, in that way. But they're best understood in context with the other ones. You know, so you can't just like jump in the middle and, like, and understand it. And in order to really understand it, you've got to get, all right, what happened? And why did, how did we get here? And what's going on? And understand the context. So last week we learned, that, or we made the case that Jesus was talking to a people who had been struggling under the weight of life. This was the crowd. Remember, in the beginning um, of the Sermon on the Mount, it said that Jesus po- took his disciples and they went off to talk and he, he taught them. By the end of the chapter, actually by the end of chapter 7, two chapters later, he's now talking to crowds of people. Um, and so, but the people he was talking to were just, they were burdened by the cares and weight of life. I mean, Roman occupation was something they had to live with and the oppression that came with that kind of, of just a political life and the military implications there. They had very heavy tax burdens. Really big percentage of their checks, of their paychecks were going to taxes. Um, they really had to, they suffered under unethical leadership. Um, whether they were religious leaders or political leaders, people who were in it for their own selfish gain and really didn't care what happened to the common person. 
Many of them are dealing with health issues. We see throughout the Gospels where they brought Jesus, the sick and the affirmed, and those who were diseased for Jesus to heal him. So there was always a bunch of people who needed healing around Jesus as well. And here's something that most people don't realize, but in this particular time, there's also a very strong current of political unrest. Just a couple decades before the arrival of Jesus, there was um, a, a civil, actually a civil war trying to overthrow Rome that was defeated. In about uh, 20 years after Jesus, about 50 AD, there was another uprising, at which point Rome came in and just, they actually, that's when the temple that we know today was when it was destroyed back in 50 AD by Rome, began because of this political unrest. And so there was this undercurrent that was going on of just tension and angst. And, and that's the environment. That's the, what was happening as Jesus was talking to these people. They lived in a world that was far from what it, they thought it should be. I mean, we all have aspirations of life, what we, how we want to live life and how we want to raise our families and how we want to be. And it, their life in actuality was far from that. The people were desperate for someone to rise up and deliver them from all of these oppressions, from all of these things that were happening, all these problems. And part of their, their worldview as, as, as Jews was that they had been promised, as Israelites, they'd been promised a Messiah. A Messiah was coming. And they'd been waiting for centuries for this Messiah to come. And so Jesus arrives in the midst of all this. In the middle of all this is when Jesus shows up. And he comes to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he tells us, that's why I'm here. And the trouble was, though, for Jesus, that the kingdom of God was very different than the one the people were expecting. It was better, but it was very different. Nothing like what they were expecting. And so the task for Jesus was to get people to look at things differently, to see them through God's eyes, from God's perspective, and not through the eyes of themselves. And so very early on, in fact, it's one of the first things, according to Matthew, that Jesus did, was he gave this, in some regards, the, the, one of the greatest sermons of all time, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and this is Jesus' attempt to say, listen, Things in the kingdom of God are are very different. You need to think differently. You need to behave differently. You need to be different. And the the Beatitudes then, um, these eight blessings, were were for all intentional purposes the introduction to a sermon. Um, And like they set the tone. You know, this is kind of where we're going. This is what's happening. Um, And these eight blessings were very contrary to what would normally, one would normally think. Again, they're attention getters. So you make a statement, it's like, wait, what? And that was his intent. That's what he was doing. And so last week, Jesus, as, as he was starting this, instead of saying that the poor should be pitied because they're on the outside looking in, he said, no, no, no. The poor are actually blessed because they're part of the kingdom of heaven. They're on the inside. You're, they're part of what God is doing here. And instead of saying that those who mourn, you know, that they've suffered loss and they've experienced deep pain. <clears throat> and instead of just saying that they just need to muster the internal strength on their own and get over it and move on with life, he said, no, you're not alone. You're not alone. God is with you. And in God's kingdom, you will find comfort in the midst of your pain. And that brings us to the three Beatitudes we're going to spend time looking at here this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, and they're on the, be on the screen. Let's read these together, can we? <clears throat> Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray.
Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, these blessings that you give because they do speak to us in many significant ways. And it's not just something you talked to people about 2,000 years ago. Um, They also have application to us today. So as we unwrap these a bit, help us to understand more about what you were trying to say and what the expectations were, Lord, for how we should live. And so, Lord, I just commit the remainder of our time to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So part of me was just curious this earlier this week, and I googled the words, the world belongs to, <clears throat> and I just hit enter. Um, and so I came up with a few things I thought you saw. One of them is, uh, I got, came up with this, the world belongs to the energetic, Ralph Waldo Emerson, name that's familiar to many of us, makes sense, the energetic, the go-getters, the world belongs to them, Okay. Next one, the world belongs to those who persevere. I have no idea who Nathaniel Brandon is, uh, but it makes sense. Again, all of us know that perseverance is a good quality attribute, and, and that, but I thought that was interesting. This one caught my attention. <clears throat> the world belongs to who doesn't feel. <clears throat> kind of harsh. Um, the primary condition to be a practical man is the absence of sensitivity. Um, so, uh, Fernando Pessoa was uh, actually a Portuguese poet, surprisingly, never married. <clears throat> I don't know why, um, that would be the case, but, uh, <clears throat> but the world belongs to who doesn't feel. I just, that just was harsh. Uh, one more, actually I get two more. One, the world belongs to those who set out to conquer it armed with self-confidence and good humor. Again, Charles Dickens wrote that one. And then uh, one with uh, kind of a tip of the hat to my school librarian daughter. Uh, The world belongs to those who read. All right? (laughs) 250 million hits in my search. Not one of them said, the world belongs to the meek. So this beatitude, more than any of the other seven that Jesus gave, caused the listeners as they said, to respond to, wait, what? what? What did he just say? What? Causing them a pause. So we need to unwrap this a bit. <clears throat> First off, I want to say that to be meek does not suggest weakness. That's not what's being conveyed here. Sometimes we have this idea that meek is just kind of this, the, a mousy kind of a person. They just, people just run roughshod over them, and they have no will and no backbone, and that's, that's not what's being conveyed here. That's not what a meek is not weakness. As Jesus used the term, we can understand meekness as controlled strength. Another contemporary way to phrase it might be, blessed are those who have been humbled. Those of us who've been around the block a few times in life understand that. That there's this, there's this, you know, sometimes when we're young, and as I've gotten older, um, I've just known when I was younger, the world was more black and white, right and wrong. As I've gotten older, the world has become much more gray. I've just learned that, you know what? That's not it. And I think that's what's being conveyed here. Those who've been humbled, those who have lived life, who have been knocked down a few times, but have gotten up, the world <clears throat> belongs to them. Now remember, within the context of these eight blessings, Jesus is pointing back to Isaiah 61. Almost, none of them are almost word for word in just some of the way things are phrased. 
both Isaiah and Jesus were talking to people who had been oppressed, who had been humbled by occupying armies, unjust religious leaders, and an ungodly, they lived in an ungodly population. And so when he said, you know, when, he, when, he, when we ask, you know, what did he mean then by saying that they will inherit the earth? I think what he's trying to tell people is that stand firm, your day's coming. And I think God would say the same thing to you and me today. Stand firm. Your day is coming. While we may not live under the impressive regime of a foreign government like Rome, we do live in a broken world where life is a struggle, relationships are broken, bodies fall victim to problems and disease with no medical solution. We too need a Savior, don't we? And to us, Jesus says, stand firm. My kingdom is here your day is coming. Great news. I find comfort in uh, words of David in Psalm 37. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. I love that. So blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Second um, beatitude that, we're, uh, that comes next, right after that, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, the word for righteousness here carries this idea of justice with it as well. And so just, so just as the, um, um, this, uh, this, I, this beatitude then has two different ways that we can understand it. And so one of the ways is that Jesus was saying that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or those who hunger and thirst for justice, because you've been treated unjustly, you will be filled. So when you're waiting for this, you're, this is what you, you will receive this. <clears throat> Again, Jesus was talking to people who had not been treated well by others. And understood this way, the words of Jesus resonate with the words also written by King David in Psalm 107. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And it's amazing for me as, as I, part of the study is I've realized how much of what Jesus said is actually taken from the Old Testament. Taken ideas from David and the other prophets and said this, what it was said here, this is it. This is what's happening. So similar to how we understand the meek will inherit the earth, Jesus tells those who long for things to be put back in order, he's saying to them, hold on, your day is coming. The kingdom of God will be a righteous kingdom. And that's good news for all of us. <clears throat> so there's another way to understand this blessing, though, as well. Or, um, yeah, this beatitude. And that is those who strive for righteousness in the way they live their life will be filled. So in other words, those who are hungry for God will be filled. I'd suggest to you today that the way you know you've had a true encounter with God is that you're hungry and thirsty. I think the sense of his absence, the sense of you're missing him, that something is missing, is evidence that God has touched you. In a sense, a sense of longing, in effect, is a sense of his presence. That makes sense. So the question, you know, how do you know you've met the real God? I think it's because there's a longing for more. I want to know him. I want to experience him. I want to be in his presence. 
And the deeper the sense of the absence, or the greater the desire to be in the presence, the greater sense of his presence that's in your life, the greater that experience. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 63. It's from the New Living Translation. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I honestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. See, I'm convinced that when you experience God, when you encounter God, something changes. We find ourselves wanting more of him. Not answers to our prayers, not this list. That's not what's happening here. We want more of him and experiencing him. In fact, I would suggest that the mark of authentic spiritual maturity is that you become satisfied with God for who he is and not what he can give you. And David had reached that point. David there was expressing that very thing in that psalm. He's saying, all I want is God. All I want is God. If I have his love, I don't need anything else. If I have his favor, I don't need the approval of others. If I have God's wisdom and blessing, I don't need anything else. Yes, life is problems, and yes, there's troubles, and yes, all this stuff is, but I've encountered God. I've been with God. I have everything I need. I'm filled. I'm good. We're okay. Now, let me also suggest to you, I'm a big proponent of managing expectations. So let me suggest that we work really hard on Sunday mornings to create an environment for everyone to experience God, whether it's through worship or through the word, that there's some encounter with God. But let me say categorically, Sunday morning is not enough. It just, it just can't do that. It can't provide that in a way. I'm convinced that Sunday morning should be a supplement to your spiritual diet, not the main course. Where we can say like David, I've encountered God, I've been with God. I, I, I just know for me, my times of encountering God in this way have never been in larger groups. It's always been it's just me by myself. It's that moment, whether I'm reading something in Scripture, going, I've shared, going for a walk, listening to music, and the word, something just, and I'm in God's presence. And, and those of you who've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about, that it's not like life's problems all of a sudden disappear. It's not like the, everything gets better. All, it just doesn't matter. It just, this hunger for God and wanting more of God, again, not because he's elusive, but because there's always more of God available to us than we currently have. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And lastly, the, 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 the third beatitude we look at here today is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So whereas the previous beatitudes focus, or they find their focus primarily on an attitude or state of mind. If you think this way, if you understand this way, Um, this particular beatitude, though, points to action. It actually asks you to do something. And it's, again, a couple different ways we could look at at this idea of mercy. One is that mercy is withholding punishment 
that might be deserved. And we see this very clearly in Scripture. Paul writes about this quite often, that we have received mercy from God, our Heavenly Father. In Ephesians chapter 2 in particular, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So it's nothing we've done, nothing we've earned, nothing that we can say is, is up to us. But God, even though we deserve judgment, gave us grace, gave us mercy. Or through his grace, gave us mercy. We deserve judgment, but we receive mercy. So the implication here being, Jesus is saying to these people, even though the government and religious leaders have not had mercy on you, you are to show mercy to others. Think about that. Because here's what human nature is. I've been abused, or I feel like I have. I'm cranky. I'm going to take it on in someone else. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You're in the kingdom of God. We don't live that way. That's not how you're to live. Yes, this has happened to you, but you, you are to show mercy to other people. That's how you're to behave. But we also show mercy when we initiate an act of kindness to anyone who is in trouble. So anytime we show an act of kindness to someone who's struggling or something where we try to lessen or even remove a burden or a trouble that they're going through, we are showing them mercy. And here we see this quite frequently in Scripture, um, in particular Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus was just walking down the road, and, and as he was going, two blind men followed him calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. So again, there's not an idea of judgment here, but God, take away our burden, take away what we're, uh, actually heal us from our blindness, is what they're asking for. The idea here is that we can initiate mercy if the situation calls for it. Um, this uh, past Wednesday morning, uh, you know, we've got a men's uh, Bible study. It meets at 6 o'clock. On, on, we meet on Zoom. We meet virtually still. And uh, I was talking, you know, sometimes at 6 o'clock we get on and, you know, some of us are still a little groggy. And in that particular morning, I was feeling the effects of we had pulling, removing some bushes in the front of our house. And so the night before, so I'm feeling the physical effects of that as well as just uh, getting up early. And so I made comment to that to, uh, to the guys and uh, said, so no, I've still got the stumps. I got to get out here yet. And uh, what was interesting is Thursday morning, about 7.30, uh, Thomas Alexander texts me. He says, hey, I've got some time. I want some help pulling out those stumps. Um, you know, I'll come over and help. And it's like, who does that? <laughs> you know, at 7.30 in the morning and what was he doing? He was showing me mercy. Um, seriously, because that was, that was tough. Uh, it, it ended up that our, my schedule and his, or his schedule was open. Mine wasn't. We weren't able to do it. He did actually come up. We had to put up the, v, the uh, All-Star Camp banner. So he came up and he and I put that up and hung up a few things and did a few things around here. So um, I, I took advantage of, of uh, his offer in a different way. Um, but he showed me mercy. And so he saw an opportunity, he saw something where he could help someone else out to ease their burden, help them in through a situation, and took that initiative. That is showing mercy. And what Jesus is telling us is that those who are merciful will also receive mercy. <clears throat> so not only is it a blessing that points to action, it's also a blessing that is conditional. 
We don't necessarily, um, it, it's that the implication here is that those who don't show mercy to others will not receive mercy themselves. And although most of the people in the crowd were probably the impressed, oppressed people, those who were feeling the burden of life, I have no doubt that there were some religious leaders and even some wealthy landowners among the crowds. And sometimes I wonder if Jesus, when he made this, he was looking right at them and saying, you better change your ways or you won't receive mercy. More in a judgmental sense. In fact, James uh, picks up on this in James chapter 2. picks up on this idea. It says, judgment without mercy will be, <clears throat> excuse me, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In closing, um, I want to revisit actually the prior beatitude about hungering and thirsting for God. Um, some of you know exactly what I was talking about, that desire of just wanting more of God, of being in his presence, of not just coming to him with your shopping list, but just experiencing him. And so you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced that with God in your own life. And for some of us, maybe been a while. Maybe it was something that happened years ago, but we've really been going through busy. We'll go through routines, and we just really haven't taken time to just sit. And one of the things I've discovered is God never imposes himself on us. Um, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, uh, make the expression, uh, you know, they have an injury or an illness, and their comment was, well, God just wanted me to slow down. And I don't buy that. I don't think God does that. Um, but I do think... If we're paying attention, God can redeem any situation. The, big, the, the challenge is, are we paying attention? Are we listening? And so I love uh, how um, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 55 says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Again, what he's talking about here is that what God is offering you is free. What you get is you get this full course meal, spiritually speaking. You get it all. You get it all for nothing. All God asks for is your heart and for your, for just for you. So, you have a homework assignment this week. There will be a pop quiz next week. To say, no, I'm just kidding. I want to challenge you with this. I, re, I want to challenge you with sometime this week, set aside an hour, a morning, whatever. But just say, God, this is just you and me. Do whatever you got to do to clean the slate, clean the deck, if you will. I, I, for me, that's a big thing. I've got to kind of clean things out. Otherwise, I'm, my mind's distracted. But do what you got to do. And just, and, and just listen to music, read, thoughtfully pray, and, and just say, God, all I want is you. All I want is you. I have no doubt that God will show up in a way that you won't expect. I, I can't say what that'll look like or what it'll be, but I, I know that God wants to reveal himself to you more than you want him to. So when we open ourselves up for that, he will, in fact, do it. 
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.